The following audio is from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com. This morning, how many of you have ever been really discouraged? I mean, really discouraged. If you don't raise your hand, you're lying, okay? So I just want to... uh, Let me just share a couple of quotes from you this morning. As I began a... uh, I began a series back when John asked me to preach for him now and then on, on Elijah, and we've been following his journey, and I've called it the roller coaster prophet because Elijah experienced so many ups and downs in his ministry. But look at this quote here from Charles Spurgeon. He was, uh, obviously many of you know that name. He's a very famous preacher. Charles Spurgeon said this in a chapter of one of his books called The Minister's Fainting Fits. Here's what he writes. He said, fits of depression come over all of us. Usually cheerful as we may be, we must at intervals be cast down. The strong are not always vigorous, and the wise are not always ready. The brave are not always courageous, and the joyous not always happy. There may be here and there men of iron, but surely the rust frets even these. If you anything about Spurgeon's life, every Monday he suffered from depression after preaching on Sunday, it was a, a, a tough thing for him to deal with, and uh, I can relate to that myself. John Bunyan is another man that many of you know, Pilgrim's Progress, and he writes this, No matter how hard we try or how spiritually mature we are, miry slows are inevitable. Not because we fail somehow, but because no one is immune to despondency. It's such a place as cannot be mended, only traveled through. John's been talking about weakness the past several weeks, and uh, I thought it was really interesting how God orchestrated this message to kind of follow up in that, because we all get discouraged, right? We all get depressed. And this morning, I'm not going to talk to you, those of you who may be, quote, clinically depressed, but all of us have been spiritually depressed from time to time, and we've joined some good company. One of them, obviously, is Elijah that we're going to talk about this morning. But you remember David many times throughout his life as he writes in the Psalms. He he gets really down and discouraged and sometimes even whines to God and complains to God. And and so people, uh, no matter how spiritually mature you are and no matter how macho you might be, we all suffer at times from being really, really down and depressed and discouraged. Well, if you've been following Elijah's journey, remember he was called out of a little place called Tishba. He was a Tishbite and was somewhere up in the mountain area, and I kind of equated Elijah to the kind of guy that was like Grizzly Adams. You know, he came out of of Tishba, and he came out of nowhere, and God used him to confront the most evil king that ever ruled Israel, King Ahab. King Ahab had married this incredible lady named Jezebel, who was a Baal worshiper, and Ahab bought it hook, line, and sinker. And God called Elijah out of obscurity to confront the king, and he did and told them by his word that there was not going to be any rain in the land and they would suffer from a famine. Well, immediately after that, God put him back into obscurity and put him at Brook Cherith, if you remember that story. And he was training Elijah essentially at Brook Cherith to understand that God is his protector and God is his provider. If you remember, he was at Brook Cherith for almost a year, and God provided food from a raven, from a bird. And so he lived off of this bird for almost a year. And then God said, get up and go to Zarephath and see this widow lady, and, and, and she's going to minister to you. But in reality, he ministered to her, and he experienced God's power and God's provision at that area of his life. And so God was preparing him for this incredible confrontation that he was about to have with the prophets of Baal on top of Mount Carmel. 
And the last time I shared this message, we went to Mount Carmel with Elijah. And you remember, he scored an incredible victory there against the prophets of Baal. And they had created this altar, if you remember, on Mount Carmel. And, and, and uh, the, the prophets of Baal spent the entire day acting like idiots, trying to call down their gods to really consume this altar. And it never happened. And Elijah comes along with all this confidence in God's faith and God's power. And he prays and the altar is consumed, the lock, stock and barrel. And the people of Israel responded in an incredible way. And so I want you to go to 1 Kings chapter 18 with me today on your iPads, your iPhones, and your Bibles, okay? Um, 1 Kings chapter 18, and um, you get to verse uh, 38, and it says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. What a great victory. And Elijah was used as a vessel of God to really call down the power of the Lord. Can you imagine the euphoric adrenaline that was flowing through Elijah's veins at this point? And then it says in verse 40, Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. And they seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. Can you imagine being a witness to seeing 400 men being sliced to death after this great victory. Think about what was going through the heart and mind and body of Elijah. And then following that, verse 41, And Elijah said to Ahab, Go eat and drink, for there is the sound of heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of the Mount Carmel and bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked, but there was nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. So Elijah was in fervent prayer seven times. In fact, if I were Elijah, probably after number six, I'd be thinking, God, hey, come on, pal. We, we need to, this needs to happen here now. And he must have been pretty worn out. But he persisted in prayer, and God finally showed him. So Elijah said, go until Ahab, hitch up your chariot, and go down before the rain starts. Because a, loud, a cloud appeared that was going to rain. And so he told Ahab to hitch up his chariot and go down before the rain stops because it wasn't a four-wheel drive chariot, you know, because it was really raining. It was a two-wheel drive. I just, never mind. Okay. All right. So Elijah said, go until Ahab, hitch up your chariot, go down before the rain stops. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds and the wind rose and a heavy rain came on and Ahab rode off to Jezreel and the power of the Lord came upon Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, this must have been quite a sight, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. That was 20 miles, folks. 20 miles. He ran a marathon. Now, get this. Here's Elijah. He had just scored this incredible victory, had a prayer of faith, and God answered it with rain. He runs 20 miles. Can you imagine the spiritual and emotional and physical exhaustion he must have experienced? And I want to talk to you right now that there are certain triggers that often trigger spiritual depression. And one of them this morning I want to speak to you about is this matter of emotional and spiritual exhaustion. You see, all of us experience really incredible highs in our lives where we get that adrenaline rush and that euphoric opportunity and we've been used by the grace of God. And then there are days where it's just a very discouraging, frustrating, uh, debilitating and exhausting kind of scenario that's in our lives that just wear us out. And both of those those scenarios can help us become spiritually depressed, believe it or not. 
In fact, sometimes success is the first breed to spiritual depression. And Elijah experienced tremendous success. I remember one time when I was riding along with a police officer, when I was police chaplain down in Phoenix, and we were two officers. It was uh, Deb and, um, and, and John, and, and they were in the front seat, and I was in the back. And up, up came a hot call for an armed robbery suspect who was in the neighborhood, and he was running on foot. And lo and behold, right when the call came over, this guy's running right in front of our squad car. And he's got a gun in his hand, and he's running. And so the two officers just like, oh, my goodness. I mean, did they react? And they got really excited, and they rammed their car into the curb and threw their doors open and started chasing this guy down the street. And I'm sitting in the back seat with the childproof locks. And, and I want to chase him down. I want to go with him, and I wanted to see what the action was. And so I thought, no, what I was thinking right then, I thought, you know, if this guy doubles back, he could actually take this police car because the keys are in, the car's running, and I'm sitting in the back seat. This is not a good picture. And so I climbed into the front seat. I was able to squeeze through the window between the front seat and the back seat, and I, I was able to close the doors and lock. Well, Deb and John came back with a, with a suspect in custody, and they were just so pumped. I mean, they were so excited because Debbie, this little five foot seven girl, six five foot six girl who weighed probably 110 pounds, ringing wet, jumped on him, tackled him, cuffed him, and stuffed him. And they were rehearsing the whole event in the car, and they were just so excited, man. They were just, just, and this is typical of what happens to officers. They had this big adrenaline rush, and then for the next hour, it was like quiet in the car. I mean, it was like poof. All of a sudden, exhausted, you know, the excitement was gone, the adrenaline was gone, was gone and um, it was just amazing to watch. And this is what I think happened to Elijah. I mean, he, he had this incredible confrontation with the prophets of Baal, and then to have 400 men murdered in front of his, uh, or slain in front of him, and then to run 20 miles, this guy must have been absolutely, totally burned out. And some of you have been there in your life where you're just physically and spiritually and emotionally exhausted, and sometimes we don't even know it. And here was a guy who was just that exhausted. And, and, and so the second thing I want you to notice here that really has been a trigger in, in what I think is spiritual depression is what came next. So let's go back to the text here. In chapter 19, verse 1, Now Ahab told Jezebel every, everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that one of them. Here comes the opposition again, the rejection. You know, one of the causes for a lot of us to be spiritually depressed is that nagging opposition and rejection and criticism and opposition that we just experience in life, where we get stiff-armed in relationships, where we get bogged down with, with uh, opportunities and, and, and uh, just things that come our way that just discourage us and bum us out. You know, being a pastor that I've been now for the past 35 years, you know, when you, when you live with a bunch of sheep, they bite. And, 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 and there's always somebody out there whining or criticizing, and it just gets so discouraging. You know, church would be just phenomenal if there weren't people in it. It'd be just wonderful. 
And so it's very discouraging, and all of us do experience that, whether it's on the job or the workplace or in relationships or, or physically there's challenges. There's always something in life that seems to be a nagging opposition and rejection, and it can really get us down. And in this case, even though Elijah had just scored this incredible victory, and who was the world was Jezebel? She was nothing. And yet because of that nagging opposition, he began to get frustrated and get down. And so you can see the next what happens in Elijah in chapter in verse 3. Elijah Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. Are you kidding me? And he just spent in confrontation in Mount Carmel with 400 prophets of Baal. He had confronted a king who could have taken his head off. And now this woman, this wife, has got him discouraged and afraid. Well, why? Because he was tired physically and emotionally. He was just drained. And so I call this potential threats. See, all of us live with potential threats, right, in our lives. Every one of us, if we could, if we sat down for a minute, there's something we could worry about, right? There's something we could be afraid of. There's something that would discourage us. There's something always going on in our lives that just seemed to be a potential issue. And consequently, sometimes we become fearful and we worry and we fret. And, and, and pretty soon as that worry and fret gets us down and we get discouraged and it gets really, really frustrating. And Elijah was living with that. And even though at that point he just didn't have enough perspective because of his exhaustion to really deal with this threat by her. But then Elijah does something that's really foolish. And I want you to notice this. He was afraid for and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, now this is verse 3, he left his servant there. What mistake did he make? One of the triggers to spiritual depression is isolation. Elijah left his servant probably more than ever. He needed somebody in his life to give him some perspective, and he cut himself off. And how many times have you done that in your life where you get so discouraged, so frustrated, and so down that you sort of cut yourself off and you start to cave and you start to isolate yourself and you start to, to back down and you, you kind of go underground with your emotions and you begin to repress things. And this is what Elijah did, and it was the wrong move for him, but nevertheless, that's what he did. And Satan loves to get us into that position, doesn't he? He wants us to feel like we're the only person that's really struggling. He wants to isolate us so that we get into that spiral downward in our own personal thinking. And without somebody jumping in there and breaking the merry-go-round and the spin that's going down, we really can get into trouble. And so that's another trigger when we start isolating ourselves. Be careful. So here's Elijah. He's, he's, in, a, he's in a real funk. And we pick up the story again. As you go back down, and it says all at once, excuse me, let's go back to verse 3. Elijah was afraid, ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And while he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. That's getting pretty discouraged. And for some of you who are sitting here this morning, you may have been there. You'd rather die than face the next day. And here's a man of God who had scored this incredible victory, a man of power, a man of faith, and he's so discouraged he wants to die. So if you're in that place, you're in good company. But listen to how God begins to help him overcome his spiritual depression. This is really interesting to me. Let's read verses 6 through 9. All at once, or excuse me, verse 5, then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. Good thing. 
And all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. You notice two things here. God was concerned about meeting his physical needs. You see, Elijah had probably not slept. He was exhausted. He hadn't eaten. And God was just basically saying, Elijah, get some sleep and get something to eat. Now, this is great for those of you who like comfort food. This is your opportunity now to get that bag of Cheetos out and say, thank you, Lord, I'm really comforted by this food. That's not what we're saying here, but that's kind of what it is here. He's basically saying, Elijah, you've got a problem here. You've got to take care of your physical health. You've got to get enough rest, and you've got to get some exercise, and you've got to eat healthy. And for a lot of us who are discouraged and down, that's the last things that kind of go in our lives. We get despondent. We get to be couch potatoes. We don't get healthy. We don't eat healthy. We don't get enough rest. And consequently, we're feeding that spiritual depression. And God is just basically saying, Elijah, get some rest and get something to eat. Take care of yourself. For some of us, we run ourselves into the ground and we wonder why we're spiritually depressed because we don't honor God's Sabbath rest. So number one, God met his physical needs to help him overcome his depression. Now let's look at verse 10. Jump over with me to verse 10. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? See, God confronts Elijah And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Well, whine and complain. Have a pity party, why don't you, Elijah? But what I love about this, the way we oftentimes overcome our discouragement is to ventilate our issues honestly before the Lord. See, God's not expecting our perfection. He wants our honesty. And there's times in our lives when we're just totally discouraged. We need to just start saying to God, God, this hurts. This is frustrating to me. I don't like this one bit. God, where, where, where in the world are you? You don't give a rip about me. How come? David did it. God can handle that. And we need to be able to do that before the Lord. Sometimes we're reluctant to just pray out loud. I remember one day when I was just really, really discouraged many years ago, and it was about 3 o'clock in the morning, and I went for a long walk because I was so angry with God and frustrated with my journey, and I began to yell out loud at God, God, where are you? You don't care about me. What's the deal? It was good for me. It was healthy for me to be able to express my heart to the Lord. God can handle that, right? He's a God of grace and mercy and love, and he can hear our complaints and our whining and complaining. And so we do do need to ventilate our issues, and this is what really Elijah was doing, and God allowed him to do it more than once. But let's look what happens in verse 15. Excuse me, let's start with verse 11. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. He said, I want you to be intimate with me for a moment. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. Well, that's interesting. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. What was God trying to prove here? After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not not in the fire. And after the fire came what? A gentle whisper. I like that. See, what God was trying to do is saying, time out, Elijah, I want to get your attention. I remember when I was whining to the Lord that night, 
I heard this still small voice whisper in my ear, Hey, Garishay, if you just shut up and listen, I'll tell you where I am. And sometimes at some point when we get done ventilating, we need to just take some time to listen to what God has to say. And oftentimes God speaks in that little whisper. You know, the, the word of God is so clear and we get God's written word to us, but I still believe that God can still whisper to us if we just take the time to listen and shut up long enough to hear what he has to say. And that's what I think God was trying to say to him. I want to get your undivided attention, Elijah, because I'm going to whisper this one. You see, it's often that still small voice that gets our attention. What does Scripture say? Be still and what? And know that I'm God. And so I see this as an opportunity for God to really speak to Elijah. And I really believe that God wants to speak to you in your journey right now. If you're totally discouraged and wiped out and, and you're really frustrated and you've been whining to God, and God's saying, okay, okay, I, I hear you now. Okay, just be quiet right now because I'm going to talk to you. We're going to have a little chat, a little come to Jesus moment with me, okay? So how does God deal with that? Here's what he says. He asks him again, then the voice of the Lord said, what are you doing here? And in verse 14, Elijah responds the same way. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. See his spiral downward? Here's what the Lord said. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazel king over Aram. If I were Elijah right there, I would say, did you hear what I just said, God? What are you doing to me here? But if you go on, you realize what God's doing. He says, also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshai, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Meholah, to succeed you as a prophet. And then Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. So what's God doing? God's saying, look, Elisha, you need to fix your mind on what's true. See, at some point, you have to get perspective. Scripture tells us to fix our mind on things that are true and honest and just and right and holy and righteous. And so God was just saying, Elijah, time out here. Let me give you a little perspective. Let me break this vicious merry-go-round, this, this vicious circle that you're in of despondency and depression. I got to tell you, Elijah, I realize that you're really down. However, get up and get going because really there are 7,000 people out there who have not bowed down to the prophets of Baal. And there are other prophets, by the way, out there as well. So you're not alone. Get alive. Get down in touch with truth and reality. And sometimes that's what we need to do. We have to be intentional to start thinking now, okay, i got to fix my mind to what's true. You know, it's so easy to gravitate to all the stuff that isn't true and the lies that Satan wants to give us. And it's really time to just stop the merry-go-round and fix our mind on things that are true. And I think God is really doing therapy in Elijah right here by saying, oh, by the way, Elijah. Here's the fifth thing that I think God does to help us overcome with spiritual depression. We can find a friend whom you can trust and encourage you. You see, there's a little phrase in here that I love in verse 20. I'm sorry, um, verse 19. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphet. You see, what God did is in that 
moment of loneliness, God said, look, I want to take you out of isolation and give you a Barnabas. I want to give you an encourager. I want to give you somebody in your life that will help give you perspective. And you remember one of the triggers to to spiritual depression is isolation. But one of the greatest ways to overcome spiritual depression is to have somebody in your life that you can count on. So we need community. When we're tempted to kind of isolate ourselves, it's very the very time that we need to have somebody in our life that God has provided to be speaking into our life and encouraging us and being our shadow and being that Barnabas in our life. And God provided that. It was almost like a parenthetical thing. Oh, by the way, I'm going to give you Elisha. So God wasn't, wasn't not necessarily not, not listening to what Elijah was saying in his loneliness. God did minister to him by giving him somebody. That's why we need small groups. That's why we need community. That's why we need to be a part of a church body. Because there are people in our lives that can be a part of our lives to encourage us and to come alongside us and to pray for us and give us perspective. So we need to be able to find and have a friend who you can trust and encourage you. And then the last thing. Again, it goes back to verse 15. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go on the desert to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazel king. He said, Elijah, you still have work to do. Get up and get going. If you have to force yourself, I'm not telling you to fake it so you can make it, but you need to realize you're a prophet, Elijah. I called you, Elijah. Get up and get going. And sometimes, sometimes the best way to get out of that spiritual depression is to get up and get going and do ministry in somebody else's life. I remember years ago, there was a young man of a band that traveled for us in our ministry, and he was subject to some spiritual depression. I remember one morning, I went to call on him, and he was still in bed about 10 o'clock in the morning, and it was pitch black, and he was sleeping in the basement. Everything was pitch dark. You couldn't even hardly see your head in front of your face. So I went down the basement, and I turned on all the lights, and I pulled. He was literally under the covers, and I pulled his covers back, and I said, you're going with me. And he says, I don't want to go anywhere. I said, you're going with me. He said, where are we going? I said, we're going to the hospital. He said, why are we going to the hospital? I said, we're going to go see Joyce Johnson. He said, I don't even know this lady. I said, I want you to go to see Joyce Johnson because I knew Joyce Johnson had a brain tumor at the time and her head was just almost exploding and she was in the hospital. But Joyce had a spirit in her that was just so enlightening. And I thought if I could get this young man out of bed and see Joyce. And I said, you need to go and see Joyce and you need to pray with her. I don't want, I said, you're coming with me. He, He put on his clothes and he went to the hospital and sure enough, When he got out of bed and he ministered to Joyce, and Joyce really ministered to him is what really boiled down to, he snapped out of it. And sometimes we need to just get up and get going. We get off our pity party, and we need to get up, and we need to get going, and we start to do ministry in other people's lives, and we see that there are other people hurting besides us, and that we have an opportunity and have something to give to somebody else, and it helps lift us up because we feel like we're being used by God, and we're not useless any longer. And it wasn't that God was insensitive to Elijah. He was just saying, I know, Elijah, if you just get up and do your job, you're going to discover that I'm still with you, that I'm still faithful, and you're going to be okay. Persistence, perseverance, and sometimes we've got to walk through it. There's a great little story about two frogs who fell into a deep cream bowl. One was an optimistic soul, but the other took the gloomy view. We shall drown, he cried without more ado. So with a last despairing cry, he flung up his legs and said goodbye. Quoth the other frog from a merry grin, I can't get out, but I won't give in. 
I'll just swim around till my strength is spent, and then will I die the more content. Well, bravely he swam till it would seem he struggled, began to churn the cream. On the top of the butter at last he stopped, and out of the bowl he gaily hopped. What of the moral tis easily found? If you can't hop out, keep swimming around. You see, that's what God was telling Elijah to do. Give it your best. Keep swimming around. And perhaps one day you'll hop out of that spiritual depression. Let's pray. Father, I know that there are people sitting here this morning who may be right now in that spiral, who perhaps have been discouraged, frustrated. And God, you want to speak to them just like you did to Elijah. And I guess, God, if, if, if I were you and I were them today, I hope that they would hear a whisper from you saying, keep swimming. Keep swimming. Listen to me. If you're that person this morning and you've been a little discouraged, really frustrated, I'd love to pray for you. After the service this morning, in fact, if you would like, I know we have a number of Elishas that would be standing down here in front of the stage who would love to pray for you. But this morning, I'd like to do that for you corporately. And if, if you're in that place right now and you're really struggling, would you lift your hand up? I'd, I'd love to pray for you. I don't, I don't know who you are, but... Thank you, thank you, thank you. Father, these folks, you know their heart. Your voice is not in an earthquake this morning or in a fire or in a wind. But God, I pray that they would know that you love them and that you're whispering right now. I pray that they would listen and they would recognize what a great God you are. And I pray that you would encourage them and to take the steps that they need to take, knowing that you're right there by them, side by side. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.